Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome back to the second part of Sunny Days in Kramatorsk, a special episode of Ukraine, the latest. I'm David Knowles. In June, I travelled across Europe from London, England, to Kramatorsk in eastern Ukraine with a group of British volunteers delivering aid and vehicles to the Ukrainian armed forces. In the last episode, we drove from London through France, Belgium, Germany and Poland to the western Ukrainian city of Lviv. After a thankfully peaceful night in Lviv, we were on the road bright and early and, after many long hours driving, arrived in Kyiv. We had left Lviv in a rainstorm that, it must be said, dampened our spirits. But after putting hundreds of miles behind us driving east, summer returned. It grew warmer and the skies were blue. On social media, we could see that Kiev was under attack from Russian missiles and drones. Just as African leaders paid a visit to the city, we drove on. We drove on. We drove on. After many hours, our cars crested a hill and the city lay beneath. A little more than a year ago, I'd approached Kiev in darkness, driving past the ghosts of bombed apartment buildings. Now, in high summer, the city glittered below us. First things first. We drove the cars to a location in the city to drop off some of the supplies and work out exactly who was going where. Amid the scrum of British and Ukrainian volunteers taking materials from the vehicles into an apartment in a leafy street of central Kiev, I caught up with one of the Ukrainians helping the brother of one of our translators. What do you make of what's happening now? What do you think of these volunteers? I, I really appreciate this because uh, I guess uh, for now it's really needy in our country. You know, uh, today's morning we have uh, uh, Russia attacked uh, the Kiev once more and uh, when, when I wake up uh, from bombs and then I go here and the uh, these guys, uh, everyone, these volunteers uh, uh, arrived uh, these uh, cars, these five cars for us. It's uh, like uh, God blessing, I know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you know much about where they're going, what they're going to do? Uh, yeah, they uh, will uh, go uh, to Zaporizhia, to uh, our uh, military for... Uh, I don't know exactly what uh, kind uh, they will do there these cars uh, but I think uh, they really need them uh, for uh, getting from uh, point A to B and uh, doing this fast because uh, I know uh, especially guys uh, there that uh, have troubles with um, speed to we, we can't we can uh, get uh, in some points uh, really quickly but we need this right now because uh, everybody uh, talking about the counter uh, counterattack on the Russia. 
If you could give one message to people listening around the world in the US, and the UK, Australia, everywhere really, what, what would you want them to know? What would you say? I hope that uh, this is the last war in the our lives because uh, it's it's really scary and I don't know uh, exactly the point of this war because nobody know I speak I lived in Zaporizhia for my 18 years and I speak Russian every day my friends speak Russian my parents speak Russian I'm speaking Russian and uh, that was a shock for me that the Russia actually attacked us so why I don't know why they sp they uh, talking that we are Nazis here, that we are hating the Russians, uh, that we attack the Russians. Uh, but uh, that's not true, to be honest. That's that's not true. I'm listening to Russian music. I talk the Russian all my life, and now they attack me for being uh, a part of the Russia. It's uh, ridiculous for me. So I hope that's not will happen anymore anywhere. All too soon, it was time to say goodbye. The day was getting late and we needed to be up early for the long drive to Kharkiv. I accompanied the volunteers as we crossed the bridge to the left bank. Soon, we'd left the main roads and found ourselves in a dusty industrial warehouse where we were going to leave the vehicles overnight. There's a group of volunteers here who basically paint them, they camouflage them, they're working through the night. So we've brought vehicles here. They're going to spend the entire night decorating them, camouflaging them. Um, can you just explain to us what you're doing in this warehouse here? So, since the war began... This is Anna, one of the Ukrainians accompanying us on the trip. You'll be hearing a lot more from her through this episode. They've made already 200 vehicles, which they paint, buy and then donate to the Ukrainian army. Eight of these vehicles they managed to buy themselves. The others were uh, donated and then all of them are painted for free in this garage. What's his reaction to seeing British people who've driven a thousand miles? You're not the first. There are lots of British people coming here for the same reason. There are lots of people who become tired and tired, but we need to stay strong, basically, and to keep going. And we need help. We said goodbye to the cars and headed back into the city to sleep. The next morning, I was eager to see the transformation from rustic English farm vehicles to frontline vehicles of war. So we're here back in the industrial yard where the volunteers' trucks have been painted, camouflaged. There's a huge smell of, sort of paint and fumes in the air. Uh, one of the volunteers has just told me to do this interview quickly because otherwise we'll become overcome with the, with the toxic smell of the fumes. They've all been painted a dark sort of khaki greenish colour with a black pattern over the top. It's quite something. I actually didn't recognise which car was ours until being pointed to the right one. Can you talk us through the different number plates being put on the vehicles? So, number plates in the back are default British car plates, which are the ones they had, and the one in front has says Atom, which I, I would imagine it's a name of the of the garage in here, or maybe a call sign of one of the people that works in here, but anyway, they just fit those on the cars that they do. They've done 
many, many, many cars by this point, and they're known in the checkpoints that we're going to be going through. So the soldiers will see the front of the cars, they'll see at and they'll go, OK, we know what that is. And the number plate at the back is just sort of for show, to have, to have a number plate. Yeah, so that, because it's, I, I think it's just going to make it a bit worse if you drive with, without any, you know, actual plate at all. Then I turn to Alex, one of the British volunteers. What do you make of what you're seeing? Uh, just uh, the resourcefulness of the Ukrainian people is absolutely phenomenal. I'm flabbergasted. The, the guys here, they're red-eyed. They've been literally up all night, and they've done the most amazing job of camouflaging our vehicles. One of them was bright red, and now you just would not recognise it. Do you know where you're heading now? Off to Zaporizhia. What, what, what's in store for us down there? Not really sure. Just to explain, our convoy was now being divided. Half of the group were heading down to Zaporizhia. The rest of us were going east. Are you nervous or apprehensive at all about the next stage of this trip? I'm not, because I trust the people we're with, and I'm sure they wouldn't put us in danger if if there was a possibility of that. So, no, I'm I'm, I'm absolutely relaxed about it. I'm actually uh, excited to see um, the the guys who we're going to give the drones and all the kit to, plus the amazingly camouflaged vehicles. If we don't meet again, if you're heading down to Zafrija and I'm heading off to Kramatorsk, can I ask you, what are your final thoughts? This has been an amazing trip and I definitely want to do it again because the cause is far greater than I'd appreciated before. As far as I understand, the next few days, uh, we're heading to Kharkiv tonight. Uh, and then down to Kramatorsk. It's a very, very long way. Kramatorsk is nine hours, roughly, from Kyiv. So one night in Kharkiv awaits, down to Kramatorsk, give the vehicles over, and then back to Kyiv. The column has emerged into the sunlight out of the garage, and it's quite an impressive sight. Four cars, camouflaged, filled with medical aid. It's a really impressive sight, and now we move. On the road to Kharkiv, I got the chance to speak to Sarah, Hugh's wife. One, two, one, two, one, two. We're currently leaving Kharkiv on our way to Kramatorsk. She's been organising the aid trips with Hugh since the very beginning. As we drove down the road towards the east, the traffic started to thin out. There were more military vehicles. We were getting a lot closer now to land the Russian army had taken in the initial assault in February 2022. Can you describe a little bit the atmosphere the last time you were here? Uh, well, we came in September when the Russians were really up close uh, to Kharkiv, and uh, but the Ukrainians being to the sort of push back, and so in fact we handed over two pickups to soldiers in a sort of car park, and our pickups were used that night and the night after in the um, recovery of lime and getting that back into Ukrainian hands. But it really felt like being in the Wild West. We went off to a bar with the soldiers we'd handed over to, and it just felt like everybody there, apart from us, was soldiers or their sort of wags. We did not stay the night there. While we were there, we did hear the air alarm go off. We heard a couple of booms in the background, and the soldiers we were with just sort of quietly said, oh, SE-300s, because we don't feel the blast from them, and they must be more than three miles away. Um, and we caught the night sleeper back to Kiev, and I think that night, the, after we left, the railway yard was hit by a missile. 
just after we'd gone. <laughs> so we had an interesting time, but very safe time. It was all fine and everyone was cheerful and all went really well. They pushed back and made huge ground. Now it feels much more like a happy town. You have no particular, there are lots of camouflage cars here, but not, but mainly they're just normal cars. Everyone's in their summer clothes out in the cafes. Sunny. It's, there is some more missile damage. It's quite visible around the place, a lot of it. Um, but the atmosphere is happy and sunny and cheerful. Do you ever feel nervous or scared on, on these trips? How many have you made? Um, I've made uh, three trips. I haven't actually ever felt personally concerned but I think we probably bring with us good luck because <laughs> whenever we come we uh, seem to miss any big bangs and wallops but obviously we do have to be yeah, careful. If you could sum up why you, why you come on these trips and why you're doing this what would you say? We'd been to Ukraine uh, a few years before the invasion and we were just so shocked when Russia really invaded and we had friends in Ukraine and you realised really it was just such a, a extraordinary thing for Russia to do um, and we just found ourselves having these contacts in Ukraine made it possible for us to work out a way of getting stuff that they really needed um, and getting it direct to them when and where they needed it more or less and that just felt gosh if we can do that then that's what we should be doing. What's it been like uh, doing these trips with, with, your, with your husband, with your partner? <laughs> I think it's really good, actually. I feel it's a great compliment, actually, that he wants me to come. It gives us lots of shared experience to talk about afterwards. And um, right now, apart from um, our Ukrainian, um, who are really making it all possible, and there are several Ukrainian women with us who are amazing, um, I'm the only woman coming, and I'm kind of sort of conscious that some of the other men who are in the convoy quietly saying don't tell my wife it's all right <laughs> i quite like coming out and having a boys <laughs> outing we checked in at a small hotel in central kharkiv the owner promptly offered the group a short walking tour eager to see more of the city i tagged along the hotel owner actually there's a mcdonald's fairly close by which has been bombed recently and he said that three days ago a missile landed just 100 yards down the street, it's showing us that now. Just above the skyline there is a really beautiful church with golden onion domes at the top. And that's where I think we're heading. First time in the east of Ukraine. Lots of shrapnel here. Ah, we're just outside some law offices and there's a, some shrapnel markings on the ground. What, what does it say? There's some, there's some writing underneath the shrapnel blast. This, these flowers were not forgotten. Will not be forgotten. So there's a little shrapnel spatter there. So the rocket must have come from that side. Hit the ground and bounced up and gone into the wall. And all of the building, many of the panels are blasted off and the windows MDF shut. These flowers will not be forgotten. And there's another one here. So this building was quite badly hit and the building on the opposite side of the street also has its windows out hang on I'm being left behind just trying to catch up <coughs> so it's quite clear that the centre of Kharkiv has been quite badly hit quite a few times 
I'd say the last time I saw shell splatters like that was probably in Butcher, and they still hadn't cleared them up. So it's interesting to see it here. Yeah, the evidence here is pretty much everywhere you look, there are windows still out. There's shrapnel all hitting the sides of the buildings. Shops are right. I think we've seen more obvious damage from shelling and from missiles and bombs here than we have anywhere else so far in Ukraine. This really is a frontline city. The Russians got extremely close here. University building, and this is the SBU. So we're right in the centre of, of Kharkiv. We've got the Opera House, the University, the SBU building. The city administration is just a couple of hundred yards away. This is really what they were targeting. Yes, exactly. The most central street of Kharkiv, called Sumskaya Street. I must admit, I rather like Kharkiv. Very wide avenues. Some really lovely old architecture, some new ones as well, some new styles as well. People zooming around on electric scooters, families out enjoying the sun. And just an enormous amount of damage in the centre. Enormous amount. It's a very beautiful city, I rather like it. As the light was failing in Kharkiv, a sight I didn't expect to see. I'm standing in front of the opera house in Kharkiv, and there's a man in a giant polar bear costume with a bow tie in the colours of the Ukrainian flag, dancing. Welcome to Kharkiv. That night in Kharkiv, I was working late in my hotel room, labelling recordings and trying to note down everything I had seen. It was well into the early hours when I finally switched off the light. A few seconds later, however... Luckily for Harkiv tonight, it was just a few minutes until the all-clear sounded. Attention. And it was announced by a familiar voice. The air alert is over. May the force be with you. For those of you who don't know, yes, that is Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker. The next day, we woke early for our final journey with the vehicles and supplies. We were driving from Kharkiv to Kramatorsk, it's a long drive and took us through territory that had been liberated in Ukraine's stunning counteroffensive in autumn 2022. It would be my first encounter with the unspeakable horror that modern warfare brings. From the safety of our cars, we drove past scenes of unimaginable destruction. Just crossing over a river in the region and a whole bridge has been destroyed. A whole bridge collapsed, blown up into chunks of concrete and twisted steel and we've just driven across the replacement bridge, uh, which is really low down next to the river but that's a, that's that would have been a big big explosion, we've seen actually on our way through Ukraine, usually there are guards around some of the major bridges presumably to guard against the and ahead of us an entire apartment block which has been cut in two by a strike, so the masonry is jagged and you can see the sort of insides, the guts of the apartment buildings and there's a gap of about 15 metres in the centre I can't see a single apartment there where people still might live, every single window's been blown out this is really a frontline city Zoom suffered hugely oh, no, no. 
museum was also the centre of atrocities during the Russian occupation. Extrajudicial, extrajudicial murder, torture. I'm just driving through the centre now, and you really see the. This is what total war looks like. Every single building has got some sort of damage. So we've reached a bit of a pit stop uh, near Izium, heading down to Kramatorsk. It's a fascinating place, there's lots of cars, lots of military vehicles, quite a few soldiers hanging about. There's uh, old ladies with little stalls selling things like dried fish. Uh, I turned to Hugh to ask him what he thought. Oh, wonderful. I have not seen these uh, mini fish markets before. They're absolutely spectacular. Just little stalls and loads of fish hanging off them. Presumably out of lakes, because we're quite a long way from the sea, and I'm guessing it's local. But um, what's fun about being off the main roads is actually seeing what small towns and villages really look like. The little stores, the shops, the, the food, what, 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 are, what are people using this for? Are they sort of picking up supplies as they go to the front as a bit of a rest? I, I think initially it used to be some kind of uh, village market. Mm. But today obviously it's market supply and soldiers on the front line. What was that thing you said um, in the car about the, why the tomato crop this year or last year? Uh, it's going to be so good in Ukraine. I said, I said that uh, lots of Russian blood um, covered this field, so our harvest will be very rich this year. It's what the local locals used to say the 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 last year. When you're travelling through this this country, where you see the devastation that the occupation forces have wreaked, how do you react to it? What do you think? Well, that's very funny because uh, the first time I took this road, it was a couple of months ago, and we entered on this road and uh, from Izium to Kramatorsk, and it's um, full of completely destroyed, very damaged little Ukrainian villages. And um, suddenly, I felt very angry, actually, and I was so I was I was not even upset or sad, but just so 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 angry and full of hate that it even scared me. <laughs> Do you still feel like that now? No, I don't feel that. I'm just very upset for people who lost their home here and I I hope very much that this war will be over very soon for all of us and people can just go back to their lives. After passing through Izium, we travelled through Slovyansk. Just heading now through the town of Slovyansk. Oh, was that another bloody checkpoint? No. Okay. Heading through the town of Slovensk, on our right was a vast factory. Destroyed. Many more houses destroyed. But also quite a lot of the infrastructure, interestingly. So yeah, the factories, the workshops have been really, really badly hit. Now, we are really quite close to Kramatorsk. through another completely destroyed village. So the road ahead of us is straight. We're dipping into a valley and then going up the hill. Every single house here, the roofs have been destroyed. It looks com- almost completely abandoned. One house over there has tarpaulin placed over it. There's a Ukrainian flag flying on the right. I, have not, I cannot see any people here. There's a sign in English there saying, please help build this village. might be able to hear it, we're just behind a Ukrainian tank. Maybe we'll catch it up. It's going down the fast lane straight to where it's needed. 
So it doesn't look as if we'll be able to see it again. The tank which has fallen back again and we're catching up on it and we're going to overtake it for a second time. This is a Ukrainian light tank on our right. The tank has just overtaken us again. It's gone straight through a red light. Maybe it was the shame of being overtaken by a, by a Mitsubishi L200, don't know. No, it's receding into the distance underneath the Ukrainian flag. I think that's the first time for our driver that we've overtaken a tank and been overtaken by a tank. There's a Ukrainian flag fluttering against the blue sky and right in front of me is what looks like a destroyed Russian tank. It's rusting, driven off the road. The turret's gone. The tracks are half sunk into the ground on the left. All the wheels buckled. We've just passed on the left another destroyed Russian tank. Turret's still on, just being pushed off the road. So that's the second we've seen in the space of five minutes. It does very much feel like we're getting closer. So of course this, this is the road, this is the road that Ukrainian forces would have taken in September and October in the counter-offensive then to push the Russians back. So all the fields around here are mined, and it, I must say it feels like it's getting closer and closer. First the odd destroyed building, then entire destroyed villages. There's quite a few road closures, but we've just tried to get through one way, been told by the soldier. Love the car, but this is not the way. This is not the way you have to go around. Go back, go around. So we think this journey could be a little slower than we thought. Finally, after days upon days of travelling, after breakdowns, air raids, and a journey through some of the saddest scenes I have ever witnessed, we reached our destination, the small Ukrainian town of Kramatorsk. Just 50 minutes or so away is the town of Bakhmut, currently the scene of fierce fighting. Kramatorsk, on the day I visited, was calmer, but still full of soldiers. We drove through the tree-lined streets to meet the military units. So the convoys arrived in Kramatorsk. The Ukrainian with us is shaking hands with the men from the army, the several women as well. Looking very, very happily at the two trucks that have been brought. So now the volunteers are taking out the drones, taking out some of the material from the car overseen by the Ukrainian soldier. Arms crossed, with an absolutely splendid tattoo down her face. So there's, I think, about six, seven soldiers hanging about to do this transfer. Overlooked by a very stern woman with a tattoo on her neck and both of her arms. Everybody else is in fatigues. And here we are. How do you feel? I feel, um, as always, slightly anticlimactic. We sort of arrive here and we can't, and here are these people who who have obviously delighted to see us but we can't communicate properly with them and that is incredibly frustrating that you can't they can't express what they feel really other than I suppose in their emotion Is that is that an NHS ambulance? That looks a bit like an NHS ambulance It is, hang on that's London London Ambulance Service NHS Trust Here we are in Kramatorsk and there's a, an ambulance being sent from London 
Extraordinary. Ukrainian soldiers were delighted with the aid and supplies delivered by the volunteers, and they had some gifts of their own for the group. What kind of what kind of rocket? A javelin or a? Wow. The 56th Brigade are shaking hands with the volunteers, handing over their flag, some patches as well, and I think they're going to take some pictures of them holding it up as well. Everybody's smiling. It's quite a moment. What have you been given? Um, part of a, an LPG-7 as a souvenir from Bakhmut, where we have taken three trucks, I think, in total. Do you have an idea where you'll put it in, in your house yet, or wait and see? I have no idea where I will put it in my luggage going through the airport, <laughs> so we will maybe, maybe have to wait until we can drive back, from England, back to England from Ukraine, but we'll worry about that when we come to it. Are you, are you happy with, with all this? With all the kit handed over, I spoke to the unit commander. She's very, very grateful. She's very moved. I'm completely shaking and I have no words. Stop crying, David. How quickly will all this stuff get to the front line? When does she think it will start being used? So she is the commander of the unit and she's saying that they are in Bakhmut and they, her guys will get the car tonight already and they will be able to operate there with this car. What would you want to say to the thousands of people who do listen to this around the world? Um, does she have a message for anybody listening and following the war? She said it's very, it's very, it's more, very moving for us that British people don't forget Ukraine and uh, that the Ukrainian subject is still uh, important for British. And she says, I'm very happy to meet you and and to know that we have uh, friends in Britain. Best of luck. Best of luck, sir. But there weren't just soldiers present. I spoke to Yulia, a Ukrainian volunteer attached to one of the units. While she talked to me, she clutched three plastic Union Jack flags, gifted to her from the British volunteers. Well, Yulia, thank you so much for um, talking to us. Can you tell us a little bit about your volunteering? What are you doing for the army? She started uh, one year ago to be a volunteer, specifically for 93rd Brigade. Uh, she's saying that it's my, it's like my family, the 93rd Brigade. They are calling me their little, their little mom. <laughs> my day is starting at uh, six o'clock in the morning. She's saying, and I finish at three a.m. every day, and it's quite busy, busy days. She's saying it's very important for me to know uh, that uh, all of my guys are well fed. Uh, they have uh, everything they need to fight. And I cannot sleep if I know that they need something and I need to bring it to them immediately. And I'm, buying, I'm supplying them with everything from pants and boots to drones and ammunition. I imagine she must have gone through some quite dark times over the past year and a half. How does she get through them? She's saying, of course, as all of us, I had my dark moments, but they are very, to have them is very motivating because 
I want to meet our victory together with my guys and that's what motivates me every every day to wake up to get up from my bed and to continue to carry on. Does she have any plans for after victory? Yeah, she has a dream to open a, a recovery center for uh, former soldiers after psychological recovery and and uh, physical recovery center. May I ask what did she do before this? Він питає, що робили ви до того, як стали волонтером? До того в декреті була. She just had a baby. Congratulations. What kind of Ukraine do you want for your child in the future? І підтримували українські традиції. I want, I want independent, strong Ukraine, not Russian Ukraine, Ukrainian Ukraine, completely independent and strong country with own language, own culture, and I want my children to be proud of this country. The British volunteers have given you um, some British flags, three small plastic flags. What are you going to do with them? And what does, for you, what does that flag symbolize? She's saying uh, the first one, uh, the, the one I will for sure keep for myself because I'm very proud that we have that much support from coming from Britain every every single month and every single day. And the second I want to my child to bring to school. So my child and his friends know all of them that this is country uh, Great Britain which is helping Ukraine and they we need to respect these people and they are to remind everyone that these are our friends. She's very moved because she's saying the third flag she wants to uh, bring to her parents when they will be liberated because they are now uh, in occupied territory of Zabriska district in Melitopol. And I want to uh, keep this flag till they are liberated from the occupied, basically. Yulia, thank you very much. Thank you. At the end of the interview there, Yulia turned away with tears in her eyes and her translator was comforting her, speaking about her parents in occupied Melitopol. Our time in Kramatorsk was almost at an end. After sharing a pizza with the soldiers, one of them offered us a lift back to the station to catch the Kiev train. He said he was happy to speak about his experience in the army and the war. It was a conversation I'll never forget. So, um, if you could just give us age and his name and tell us what videos he was showing. Uh, my name is Zhenya. Uh, I'm 34. I'm from Dnipro and actually I was in real estate before the war. So I was not uh, in the army before. I used to have this uh, opinion that war and military stuff is something which has no connection with uh, my life, my personality. It's not something I'm interested in. I, I, I was not interested at all before the war. So I was very, very, very far away from from uh, uh, any military activity. Already when the war uh, started, I, I received a call from the military office asking for me to come and to check the documents etc for you know it, it was a, a, something we were doing all over ukraine to check how many men um, can fight basically and uh, so they called him invited him to to pass the, the medical commission and he understood that 
it's the moment where he needs to take a decision while if if he wants to um, basically join up or or not and he decided to do it Before this war I was quite lost, I didn't know uh, what to do with myself. I, I have my mother and my sisters and my nephews, but I have no wife, I have no children, so uh, it, the moment arrived where I was ask, asking, asking myself about what, what's next. And then the war happened, and my mother and my nephew and my sister, uh, all of them, uh, needed to flee to Germany, and I stayed here all alone. My father, is, my father is still in Dnipro. And no, он не хочет уезжать. Он My father didn't join up just because he is quite old. He is almost 70 years old. He made the same decision uh, to stay because, as me, he has the same views that we need to fight for our country to be able to continue our lives. Can I ask um, what experience does he have of, of combat? So the most frightening experience in Bakhmut was my first experience. Uh, we were in Bakhmut and uh, the fight uh, was quite long, it was five hours and a half and the, the, we were just 19 soldiers and they were hundreds and hundreds arriving from nowhere like zombies. So the fight was in the wood. It was awful because in the wood the weather was quite weird and we were not even able to see if we are firing on, if it's not a friendly fire and we are actually ki killing enemies on and not our, our comrades. It was the most difficult The most interesting experience I had in Solidar we were much closer to the enemy, and I was, I was, I was even able to see to see actually the enemy in front of me, and to know that it is the enemy, and uh, we we had nice fights there. So basically, he's he's saying that he killed lots of Russians, and he even used the grenades. He was able to use grenades. That, um, that was the fight where we managed to liquidate the commander, the unit commander. And uh, Russians obviously are getting very angry when we do these kind of things. Uh, so they were so nervous that they called, they asked for help, and lots of tanks uh, arrived. And it was a very, very, very complicated fighting. Is there one memory over the past year and a half that really stands out for him and, and for whatever reason? My friends, which were gone, and these days you cannot ever, ever, ever forget, because I lost lots of friends. The, the most awful thing is that I cannot forget, while I'm trying every day to forget how they died, and that's the hardest thing, because every day I have all these pictures again and again reappearing in my memory, because Russians are cruel and barbarian. Thank you. After saying our goodbyes, 
we jumped on a train to Kiev and started the long, slow process of leaving the country. Genier and his friends went back to the front to fight. I went home to London. After 10 days, my journey was over. Hi listeners, it's David here. It's now been six months since I travelled from London to Kramatorsk, and I've waited so long before recording this ending. Enough time for the adrenaline and excitement of the journey to wear off, and the memories to sink in. For Christmas, I've come to visit family on the western Scottish island of Isla. Outside, a winter storm is raging, rain is lashing against the windows, and the wind is bending the sparse trees. From here, my trip in June now feels like something of a surreal dream. From hearing the first air raid sirens interwoven with Christian prayer, to bumping along the back streets of Kramatorsk, interviewing Genia about his time fighting in Solidar and Bakhmut. It's now just a few days before Christmas, and I find myself thinking again of Genia. I wonder if he's still alive. What further horrors he may have witnessed. How many more of his friends have died. My final thought isn't long. I'm less eloquent than Francis, and less worldly-wise than Dom. But I can say that I hope everyone listening hears in these stories the kindness, courage, and selflessness, as much as they hear of the cruelty, destruction, and needless suffering. I hope people realise that, in the face of great evil, there's always hope, as long as good people are courageous enough to do the right thing. And that's true of the highest politicians, generals, dignitaries, to the most ordinary of us, from Polish-German mechanics to volunteers from around the world who decided their friends needed help and got involved, even to you, our listeners. Before we end, just a quick message from the volunteers I accompanied who wanted to pass on their thanks for listening, and some details. We'll also include these in the show notes. But they say... If you would like to donate time, equipment or money, or are interested in buying your own vehicle and delivering it to Ukraine, you can get in touch at ukraine.supply at proton.me. That's ukraine.supply at proton.me. And finally, from me, David Knowles, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 